Hey everybody and welcome to episode 6 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So welcome everybody to the Revive Yourself podcast. This is episode six and today's interview is, I can already tell you, it's an instant classic. This is with Dr. Sherry Tempany, who is a world-leading authority on vaccines. She's done more independent research into this topic than I think anyone else in the world. And she has been lecturing on this for decades and decades now. She is literally I'd say someone who everyone needs to listen to very very carefully when it comes to the topic of vaccines and vaccine dangers um, if if they're necessary so um, it's something that it's a topic that obviously there's a lot of media attention around especially with the film Vax coming out um, especially with the levels of autism that are on the rise and lots of other things as well so without further ado I want to get straight into it so here we are guys here's Dr Sherry Tempenny. hope you enjoy and I'll see you on the other side here we go so welcome Dr Sherry Tempenny to the show um, just said, just been having a little chat off off of the recording, and she's not feeling very well. Um, went out with some friends last night, so very grateful for her to still come on and speak to us, um, especially about a subject that's so controversial, such as vaccines. Um, so um, I was going to say, we're going to start off, uh, Sherry, with well, there's been quite a big. Um, a big, we'll say, not revelation, but big story that yesterday came out with with Robert Kennedy saying he will give a hundred thousand dollars to anyone who proves that mercury is safe. Uh, what do you think about that story? Well, I think it was a pretty safe bet, given that nobody's going to be able to do it. So it's, <laughs> you know, um, I I think that the whole the whole press release or the whole press conference was really pretty amazing. I think that what hopefully um, President Bush will allow him to do is to start the investigations on problems with vaccines that still have a residual amount of mercury in them. Because to be honest, most of the mercury is out of most of the vaccines, at least in the U.S. And the only vaccines that still have the the full amount of mercury in them are Menimmune, which is one of the um, meningitis vaccines, and the flu shot. And yeah. so I'm really thinking, hoping that this is just a political, politically correct position to get a segue in the door and to get a committee set up and to show 
that mercury does cause harm and that we do need to take the the residual mercury out of the vaccines. And then once the commission is set up, Bobby Kennedy will go and, oh, by the way, while we are here, why don't we also investigate aluminum in vaccines and polysorbate in vaccines and and, um, these stray viruses in vaccines and all these other things. So I'm hoping that it's just a politically uh, correct position. You know, one of the things that he said in that in that uh, press conference yesterday that I just it just it just made me chuckle is when he said, you know, I've been working to get mercury out of fish for the last 33 years and no one has ever labeled me anti-fish. <laughs> and, and so that's now that I'm trying to get mercury out of vaccines, why are they labeling me anti-vaccine? And I thought, you know, that really kind of sums it up. I mean, what he was saying is that we always want to create, and the press creates this polarization, this polarity of you're either totally on board, totally in the camp, you goose step to the, to the, uh, to the party line, or you're a quack, you're anti-science, and, and you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I really love the fact it didn't seem like, you know, you couldn't see all the way back to the back part of the room. So we really don't know exactly how many people were at the press conference. But I love the fact that he just kind of beat the press over the head and said, this is the fourth division of our government. You know, we have judicial, we have a legislative, we have executive, and we have the press that is supposed to hold everyone accountable. And you need to do it by the science and not do it just by your opinion. And I do believe that that's really quite true. However, having said that, I have several friends who are journalists and who do write good um, scientific articles from the position of the science isn't done. There are still things that need to be looked at. Um, I personally have a collection of uh, in the in vaccineresearchlibrary.com at vaccineresearchlibrary.com. We've spent over the last six years putting together over eight thousand articles from the mainstream medical journals that show problems associated with vaccines. And so that entire body of science is completely being ignored. And I do have friends who are are, are journalists and they, they write for publications and they pitch their stories to their editors and they routinely get them smacked down and say, oh, we can't do that. We can't write about that. Um, we, and all these other things, or they'll present a story and it'll get so edited and be so milquetoast that it, at the end of it, it'll sound like it's a pro vaccine article instead of uh, a vaccine article trying to show problems or at the very least just being neutral. So I think I'm hoping that he and what Dell Bigtree said, I love listening to Dell talk. I mean, and, and what he said about, you know, we really do have to change things here in the media. I'm, I'm just hoping it'll get some traction. Yeah, there's been a lot of, there's, there's been a lot of, um, sure, recently, I mean, when, when, it, when the film came out, Vax, and then there's another film out there been called Bought, which I think everyone should, should watch, which is a little bit about the pharmaceutical industry and how and how they go about it because it's touched on a couple of different topics there that I could go into I don't know which one to go into first because there's so much stuff you said there on one of my friends is actually a doctor he's an anaesthetist and he he's obviously works for um, NHS paid by by the pharmaceutical industry and he because he knew I was going to be interviewing you he actually sent me a picture the that said on it um, that said on it, the best part about vaccines um, for kids isn't the lollipop they get, it's the part where they don't get a disease and die. Um, so I sent back a picture 
of the headline, which was in the two infant twins that died simultaneously after vaccines. And he was like, hmm. And one of the things that people don't seem to... So, well, a lot of the things people don't realise about vaccines and the harm and people that they can say that the vaccines actually did cause a harm is that it's only if you have a reaction in the 24-hour window after you've had it. Isn't that correct? Well, it's not just the 24-hour. I mean, there's you know, there's 16 vaccines that are uh, routinely given and are approved for the American vaccination schedule. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's pretty true for where you are in the UK. I do think yeah. that you also have meningitis C, which we do not have. And so there are some, some variations, but there are at least 16 vaccines that are approved. I'll tell you and- what, I'll tell you just quickly, our schedule... Um, by the time they a, a child is one, they have fifteen, but they also have four, which is a five in one, which is diphtheria, uh, tetanus, whooping cough, polio, and and Hep B. Um, and so really, they're getting thirty one different uh, vaccinations in that one year period. Um, so it's quite a lot in that first one year. I mean, I know your schedule is quite it's, it's way above that, but for a, a newborn baby, it's quite a lot to be putting into the system, in my opinion. Um, well, it is. It, you know, it, it definitely is. I mean, um, so what you were saying about the window of, in terms of injury, I mean, in, in the in the U.S., there's a it's called the vaccine injury compensation table. Mm-hmm. And each one of the vaccines are listed. And, and the, the number of um, and the type of side effect um, that the um, government considers to be a true side effect is listed. And then the window of time for which this side effect has to occur for it to be considered to be uh, by the vaccine is listed. So, for example, if you've had like a DPT vaccine and you have anaphylactic shock within the first six hours, then it's considered a a true injury. Um, If it's 12 hours, well, sorry, you're kind of outside the window. Yeah. Um, the rubella vaccine, they allow up to 40 days. I think it's 42 days after the uh, rubella fraction in an adult to develop inflammatory arthritis. But if you develop it at 60 days, well, sorry, it probably wasn't the vaccine. So the whole thing is just sort of fabricated, made up. You know, you know, this whole thing, this whole phrase now that's being flying around the world about fake news. Well, oh, fake news. Yeah injury should be just added to the list <laughs> yeah no i remember i was I, i've listened to you talk again you're saying about how even facebook has you've had to change your posts on your site if anyone's out there dr tenpenny has got a brilliant um facebook account and i've had to change change the name or at least change the amount of posts you do on vaccines because Facebook changed the algorithms and if anything it deemed fake news and if you're posting about anti-vaccine so you had to change the post is that correct yeah I mean we I started my the Facebook page it's a vaccine info that we have it was Dr. Tenpenny on vaccines and we've recently changed the name of the site to Dr. Tenpenny on vaccines and current events yeah I saw that the other day yeah yeah because we have to just we have to post more on just vaccines when I started it in 2009, I could I was just posting articles and you know research things and you know developing. I, I wasn't even trying to develop a site. I was just kind of doing it as a hobby. And then it just got bigger and bigger. And it was so funny, Ryan, when I first started this. Um, my office manager told me I need to start a Facebook page, and she said, 
I said, well, I don't even know what that is. And she <laughs> said, well, it's a place where you can post things and, and you know, kind of like an archive. And I said, well, that's kind of cool. So I started posting things thinking it was almost like, you know, an archive. And then I had all these people start following me. And I went to her and I said, people are following me. Should I be paranoid? And she's like, no, that's what you want. And so I sort of started this very naively. I didn't even, wasn't even trying to, to build a Facebook page. And now we've got well over 200,000 fans. And and but over time, and particularly in the last couple of years, anything that we would post that would be just vaccines, even people were always saying, Dr. Tempany, why don't you write more? So I write these in-depth articles with lots of references and embedded links. And it would take me a long time to write them to have something of high quality. And it, Facebook would show it to maybe two or three thousand people. Mm-hmm. We would post something up up there on, um, you know, a vaccine story that, you know, of some Hollywood person and we get 200,000 views. And so we, we changed our, our position on that saying, well, we need to get this information out. Even if we use alternative, alternative means, if we use Hollywood, if we use politics, whatever, if we can get people thinking about this, however it is that they click on that little button and read the article, that's what we need to do. Because every time we would just put out really good science, I mean, every Wednesday we post an article from Vaccine Research Library, we call it the Scream of the Week. And I have a full-time researcher, actually it's a one and a half times researchers that I pay, that gleans from the medical literature every week the articles that are the most egregious and showing all kinds of problems, including conflicts of interest with the vaccine industry. So every Wednesday, or almost every Wednesday, we, we will post uh, a, a, an abstract to an article with a link, and then I'll write a fairly lengthy commentary about how bad this is. We get, like, no traction from it, none. Facebook's al- algorithms have shut it down. We even post it on three separate Facebook phases. Nobody even sees it. We post something else about you know, current events and, you know, or we'll post just like a meme like that. I posted Bobby, that Bobby Kennedy meme the other day on my site, we got almost 300,000 views. So Facebook is absolutely censoring things about vaccines. I'm sure they censor things about geoengineering and GMOs and fluoride and Anything that is not mainstream, they are not allowing that the the communication to occur. Wow. They're just simply not. And this is and this is people out there that say, "Oh, you're you're just being conspiracy theorists." That, that doesn't happen. But uh, I know from myself, my fact, my, my, if I post something that's completely irrelevant, um, it will get a hell of a lot more views than if I if it was something to do with, with what you're talking about. I know I know it to be true. Um, and I mean, your stats, your figures don't lie right you can't really if you're showing something it goes out to 200,000 people and you post something relevant about vaccines it goes out to 2,000 that's a big difference um it's a big difference um so what so you mentioned it before a little bit when we were talking about uh, robert kennedy uh, what do you say to these people who like to come out and, and, and call you anti-science and call you a quack i mean you've been doing this research for uh, 20 years now um you've probably got more more in, independent uh out of research hours than anyone else out there i know um what would what do you say to these people um because there's so many it's, people out there it's anti-science it's just noise 
it's just absolutely noise. I mean, I heard, I don't know, somebody was a news commentator saying a couple of weeks ago about, you know, all of this protesting stuff that's going on in the U.S. right now. And, you know, they said that less than 25% of the population in the U.S. declare themselves to be liberals, but they're making 75% of the noise. And that's how I feel about when they say anti-science, the science is done, you know, the proof is done, you guys are all wrong, you're conspiracy theorists, you're, you're sending out bad messages, blah, blah, blah. First of all, we know for a fact that many of them are absolutely paid trolls, and mm-hmm. we have proof of it. Yeah. The second part is that, you know, if sometimes people just parrot things over and over again because they heard it, they've never bothered to investigate it. It was like one of the early protests that happened after the election up in, I believe it was Portland or maybe it was Seattle. And they went out and they talked to these people. Why are you protesting against the election? And were you so pro, you know, uh, Clinton that now you're protesting? They're like, no, we didn't even vote. We weren't even registered to vote. They were just making noise. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing happens with, with them throwing darts and calling names and all this other stuff. I know I'm right. I know that the science stands for itself. I know what I've, I've, been, I've read over the last 17 years and 25,000 hours of my life. And I can pretty much say they probably haven't even read one article. Yeah, I, I, can, I can 100% agree with you. There's a few things you want to go into uh, because... I mean, I'm had quite. See, I try not to, to do have heat heat debates for people, but sometimes people. It was actually out with friends once, and it comes up because you you know I I wouldn't choose to vaccinate my my children if I had them, and I wouldn't take my vaccines again. But that's my opinion. Um, and they're saying about herd immunity. Oh, I wouldn't let my friends play. Oh, sorry, I wouldn't let my children play with your children because there'd be a risk. Um, and I was saying you need to do some research because uh, everything that I've independently researched, herd immunity is a myth. Um, um, so, what what's your take on on herd immunity? Is it is it true? Does uh, the majority of people getting vaccinated help the herd? Well, I want to take one step back, and then I'll answer that question. Okay. The one step back when you said about. You know, I don't want your unvaccinated kids playing with my vaccinated kids is the most illogical argument out there. Because if you believe in vaccines, if you have the religion of vaccination and you believe in it and you have vaccinated your kids and you believe that your kids are not going to get sick because of the stuff you've injected into them, then what are you worried about? 100%. Yeah. I mean, the people that that should be worried if if vaccination as a religion was the true thing and you didn't have to pass laws to force people to inject their kids with stuff against their will. Um, if it was really such a good thing, then the people who should be concerned are the unvaccinated kids and the parents should keep them in a little bubble and never let them out of their sight. hundred percent. And nothing could, be further, nothing could be further from the truth. So this argument that you know, your kids are unvaccinated. I don't want them around my kids. It's just like another one of those illogical thoughts that people really haven't thought through. <laughs> and so, and so it's a silly argument. Back to what you said, the question about herd immunity. Herd immunity was actually a theory, simply a, an observational theory that came out of about out of the 1940s when a physician observed that when there was a measles outbreak, an actual infectious outbreak, a real, a real true infection outbreak, that when about two-thirds of the kids in the community got the measles, it appeared as though that protected the rest of the kids who didn't get measles. 
And when the measles rate fell down below about two thirds, then there would be another outbreak. So this whole concept of herd immunity came from a theory, from an observation. It came from um, um, an assumption of the immune system because you get exposed to measles or or the flu or Sherry, we just Sherry, we just Sherry, we just lost that the last ten seconds. You just repeat that. You just said it come from the the measles. So I just go um people. Sorry, I'm just just Skype just cut out there for about ten seconds. We just got onto the pit where you said it come from people that uh, the children. That oh, the observation. Did, yeah, observation. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Okay, so from the observation that when children in a community, this was in the like the 1940s, when children, when about two thirds of the population had had measles, it appeared to protect the rest of the herd. So whenever and and so it was an observational, it was just an observation. It was on real injection. Nobody knew anything about immunology at that point in time. Really, it was all you know theory. We didn't have all the fancy blood tests today, and. Um, and it, and just and, the, and just because you're exposed to something doesn't mean you're going to get sick. I mean, if you get exposed to someone who has the flu or strep throat or pertussis or the chicken pox, I mean, just because you get exposed doesn't mean you're going to get sick. And so the vaccine industry co-opted this whole concept of herd immunity, saying that we have to vaccinate everyone and vaccinate at a 95% or better rate because we don't know which one of those kids really aren't going to protect those antibodies. And so we have to keep vaccinating everybody to keep everybody from getting sick. It's a theory that just gets propagated over and over and over again as though it's absolutely true. But there's a lot of holes in it. And so the, the first hole in the whole theory is um, if you get exposed, you're definitely going to get sick. And then the second part is you won't get sick if you're vaccinated, which neither one of those pieces of the vaccine dogma are true. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because is it 85% of people who get the flu shot actually get the flu. So, and doing my research, it said that the flu shot is no, um, it's no better than taking a sugar pill. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. That's true. And there's a lots of reasons for that. I mean, for one thing, the th- the flu vaccine has three viruses in it every season, and they change up at least one of those viruses every year. Um, so there's three viruses in it. We know there are dozens and dozens of viruses out there, influenza-like viruses, influenza viruses that actually can cause the flu. We also know that there are dozens and dozens of viruses that cause something called influenza-like illness, which means it looks like the flu, but it's caused by some other uh, virus or bacteria other than the actual influenza virus. So the influenza vaccine only keeps you from getting sick if it works at all, from a um, an infection caused by an influenza virus. It doesn't keep you from getting sick from an adenovirus or an echovirus or a cytomegalovirus. It doesn't do anything with those. It's only influenza viruses. And I look backwards over the last 12 years of CDC data to see how much of the illness that's out there in the community is actually being caused by influenza viruses. Because what they do here is there are about 120 testing centers around the country that if you get sick and you think you've got the flu and you've got stuffy nose and cough and fever, you go into these centers and they take a nasal and a throat swab and they send those swabs 
to the CDC to be analyzed. When it gets to the, the CDC, the first thing they do is they, is they decide whether or not your illness is being caused by a virus. And so let's just keep the numbers simple. Let's say there's 100,000 samples that go to the CDC. They test them and they say, okay, 80% or 80% of the, of the illness out, uh, 80% of the people out there actually had a virus. And when you drill down on the numbers, it has to go down like several layers, but they test to see if it's any other type of virus or specifically influenza viruses. And out of a 12 year period of time, out of those 100,000 samples that they send every year, on average, only about 14% of those swabs contain actual influenza virus that's actually causing the person to get sick. Mm-hmm. The other 86% of the samples, um, the people were getting sick by something other than influenza. So that means that the flu shot wouldn't have done anything for those people. Yeah, I get what you're saying. The numbers they put out are, are, are much larger than that. Um so um, one of the things like one of the things that come well, up there, like, you, like wait, wait a minute, before you kind of blow over that, I really want to make sure that that that's really clear because no, I wasn't going to blow over that. I was actually going to say I think I've heard you say before that um, that they said something like thirty six thousand people a year um, die die, from, die from the flu, yeah. And you said the actual number is more like eight hundred, and those people yeah. are actually all above eighty. That's what I was just looking at my notes for. Oh, so it's more yeah. like, uh, all, and they're all above eighty years old. Um, yep. Is that correct? Well, most of them. I mean, there's a double bell curve. I mean, the very, very young, if they catch catch the flu, very, very young, and they have other types of health problems, they have a higher incidence of, of, of dying from the flu. I would say, you know, babies under three months, and then people over the age of 70. And the people in the middle, you know, you get sick for a week or two, and life goes on its merry way. But the fact that people so believe in flu shots, they have the religion of flu shots. And and everywhere you go here in the U.S., you can get a flu shot any time of the year, not just in the fall, but any time of the year at any pharmacy. Sometimes they do them at the grocery stores. We've seen sometimes where they have a little pharmacy set up in the grocery store that if you go in today and you get your flu shot today, we will give you a 10% off coupon for your entire grocery bill. You'll, you know, you can get, you can go, they have schools where school days where they give flu shots. Everybody feels like these flu shots are so important and that it's like, it's, and it keeps you healthy and it's so good for you. It's like getting a shot of B12 or something. Uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. The fact is that if, if you get it, um, it's going to work and you believe it works. It's going to work about 14% of the time. So is it worth getting that full dose of 25 micrograms of mercury, all the stray viruses that are in there and the contaminants to prevent you from getting sick 14% of the time? I think people should wash their hands, take large doses of vitamin D and vitamin C and forego the flu shot. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, it's a vitamin D deficiency season, right? There's no sun in the winter, but people come exactly. out, these bugs come out. And, um, <laughs> yeah, especially yeah, where we are, hundred percent. It's where people was talking to uh, a, cl- a client today, and she says, "Oh, well, it's a potential client today," and she was saying, "I always seem to get this come out around January, February." I was like, "Well, that's because there's no sun. He, you're like the immune system is weak. These bugs, these pathogens love love this sort of environment. They love the cold." And they just thrive compared to in the summer when you've got the sun there. Um, you're probably outside more, fresh air, exercising more. It's just 
there's things um so there's things people can do um and you know it's it's in my oh, say in my opinion I, I think once you prime the immune system you boost the immune system um this is the thing right people will say they try i remember talking to i can't remember exactly who it was but there was i can't remember who who was talking about it but they were saying the thing they're, they're never going to be able to do a, a study of vaccinated people versus non-vaccinated people and generally that one of the arguments they use is well people who don't vaccinate are healthier anyway they, they live a healthier lifestyle and I was thinking, well, doesn't that sort of show you? It seems to me that all the people I talk to, yeah, people that live the sort of organic life, um, therapeutic supplements, etc., that don't vaccinate, they seem to be amongst the healthiest people in the world. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I, I agree with it from, from, from two different perspectives. Um, one is that um, when you see, when we see a bunch of unvaccinated kids in our office practice here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we have a, we have a, a non-vaccinating pediatrician in our practice and she hasn't vaccinated it. She's like 63 and has never given vaccines in her practice like ever. And when, so we see a lot of unvaccinated kids and they're like totally healthy. And so I think they're un, they're healthy because they have not been contaminated at an early age by all these injectables that do nothing but just muck up the system. And I also think that um, that I think that's the lion's share of it. And I also think that there may be another smaller element that parents are like, okay, I'm not vaccinating my kids, and so I have to you know do other things to ke- to keep them healthy, like get them to bed on time, have them eat better food, keep them away from sugar, you know, have them wash their hands you know after they've been out playing in the mud and and um and so I think that they are maybe a little bit more health conscious that way, but it's not an anomaly and and we really could fairly easily do a vaccinated versus not vaccinated study, but you can't find what you're not looking for mm-hmm. and if they really did a very large population let's say they did you know a hundred thousand kids and both arms on both the vac- fully vaccinated and completely unvaccinated i personally believe if it was a three-year observational study they would have to break the study early on because they would see how what the high percentage of kids that are unvaccinated that don't miss any days from school are not on any behavioral disorder drugs. They're not taking any daily medications. Um, They do better in school academically overall. I think that they would just see such a big dichotomy that they would have to break, ethically have to break the study, and that would break the back of the entire vaccine industry, and they can't have that. And that's one of the reasons why they are pushing so hard for these vaccine mandates, because one of these days, somebody's going to come along and we'll be able to put up somewhere between the three and five million dollars that would be needed to actually do that study. And then and and so um, they don't they don't want that to happen. So if they vaccinate everybody, you will never have the opportunity to do that study ever. hundred percent. I mean, the vaccinations become mandatory over review. But if these if these. If these vaccines were so safe, I want to get into the ingredients in a bit. There's a quite a lot I want to cover, but if these vaccines were were so safe, why is it you can't sue the vaccine vaccine companies, the people that are making the vaccines? Well, um, you know, is that? Let me ask you a question. Can can you in the UK sue the sue the the companies, or is it only in the US? I think we can, um, but. 
But by the amount of money it takes you to even get there, you'd be hard pushed, you know. It's one of those ones, it's like the farmers fight, fighting Monsanto. By the time they get to, to court, it's already cost them somewhere in the excess of hundreds of thousands of, of dollars, you know. Um, so you can, I think, but you guys, I know you guys can't. Um, and to be honest with you, we're, we, our, our two countries, our two nations are in bed with each other on so much stuff. Um, we become more and more Americanized as every year passes. Um, it's actually funny because Donald Trump, your new president, he doesn't take the flu shot. And he said, it's funny because I've never had the flu shot all my life and I've never had the flu once. Um, and so I was just wondering if these, if these companies, is, if, it, if it's so safe, um, why aren't they, why can't you sue them in your country? Well, that goes back to the 1986 um, Vaccine Injury Compensation Act that was signed into law by President Ronald Reagan. And what was happening during that period of time between about 82 or 83 up through about 86 is that there were a handful of, of vaccine manufacturers in the country. I think there were six or seven of them at the time. And because of the, de the, the whole cell pertussis vaccine was causing so much brain damage and they were and all of these manufacturers were getting sued left and right. And there were class action lawsuits that, are, that, were, that, were, that were cropping up and individual lawsuits for huge damages. And so all of the vaccine manufacturers started dropping out and they went to Reagan and said, you know, vaccination is the cornerstone of the U.S. public health policy. It's so important. It's absolutely critical to protect it. And so we're going to, you know, we know that that we make an, an, an unavoidably unsafe product, which has actually been the language of the U.S. Supreme Court that says that vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. So they can never make a truly vac uh, a safe product to be injected into children that 100% of people are, you know, it's just safe. It's just not going to, it's just not going to happen. And we're giving this to, to healthy people ostensibly to keep them from getting sick. We're not, this isn't a drug you're giving to somebody that's sick that, you know, they may have a reaction because they're sick. And so the manufacturers co coerced Reagan into signing this injury compensation law, which said that you could not sue the drug makers. You can't sue the makers that make the individual ingredients. You can't sue the hospital, can't sue the public health department, can't sue the doctor, can't sue the nurse that gives, gives you the shot. We're going to create this this uh, we call it vaccine court, which it falls under the federal court of claims that if you get a shot and you have a bad reaction, you file a claim with the vaccine court and we'll give you compensation for that. It was meant to be a no-fault, non-adversarial uh, position that if you had an injury, you, were, you could get compensated for it. But it turned into a completely litigious, very adversarial program where less than 10% of the people who actually got had an injury actually even knew about it to file for a claim. And even those that knew about it fell outside the three-year statute of limitations window. And they, they didn't meet that table requirement like we talked about earlier, that if their reaction showed up at you know a longer window of time than what was listed on the table, they were disqualified. The people who actually met all the criteria, it could take them over 10 years to get compensation. It was a horrible system. It still is a horrible system. The person who's the judge from the federal court of claim, she's a judge. She's not a doctor. She's yeah. a 
she's a lawyer and she's a, they're usually appointed and it's, it's just a horrible system. It's very stacked against the people. A few years ago, they changed the laws a little bit so that you could, if once you had a lawyer that took you through the system, you actually had to get paid in three years or less, which shortened up the time frame a little bit. And as of right now, I think the U S government has paid out about $3.2 billion worth of injury compensation claims. And they think that's only about 10% of the claims. Now, back when I started this in, in 2000, they were getting about eight, somewhere between five and 6,000 complaints on the VAERS database per year. The VAERS database is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS. So that if you have a reaction, and it could be something like from a sore arm all the way up to a seizure or a death. You are to report that to theirs. And back about 10 years ago, they were getting maybe five or 6,000 complaints per, or reports per year. Now they're getting between 30 and 40,000 reports per year. Mm. I can't think of a single product manufactured anywhere in the world in any industry that if it was getting that many complaints, even if it was just a sore arm or a fever, that they would continue to allow that product to be on the market. And it's, but the drug companies are protected from every angle. There was actually something that was passed in 2005 here in the U.S. It's called the, the PrEP Act that actually was a, a, a protection against bioterrorism vaccines and drugs, that if a, a pharmaceutical company makes a vaccine or a drug in the event of a, of a bioterrorism attack and they bring it to market extremely quickly and it kills a bunch of people because of the side effects, because it had not been adequately attested, you cannot get any compensation at all and you have to go to the U.S. Attorney General to file a com complaint against the pharmaceutical industry claiming that they intentionally made a product to kill you. Well, of course, that's never going to happen. Oh, it may, so yeah. They are protected at every level of their faulty, filthy, dirty products that do nothing but make people sick. It's a travesty. It's just a travesty. It's like um, the fox guy in the hen house with a lot of this stuff. I mean, I've got. I'd actually pulled up an article. We can actually sue in the UK, but as you said, like the ten years it takes. I mean, I've got one here. Family win eighteen-year fight over MMR damage to son. $90,000 payout is first since concerns of a vaccine surface and it comes down at bottom and it actually even says um, it says uh, this case should not make well it has massive brain damage the, 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 the child was left in a wheelchair etc um, and it says the casual link shouldn't shouldn't make parents feel indifferent about the safety of the vaccine. The decision reflects the opinion of a tribunal on specific facts about this case, um, and it's not a precedent for any other case. The safety of MMR has been endorsed through numerous studies in many countries. And it's just like, it doesn't matter if it's one or if it's 100,000. That's too many, in my opinion, um, because it could you could be that one. Um Exactly, and it's just I, I don't. I know these people with science degrees. I mean, a lot of people in the holistic health world, alternative world, they they know that these these, these people. So you don't want to be. I, I sometimes I want to play devil's advocate sometimes and ask questions, and it's good. But when you've got the evidence there, and you just got all these people, and you think, how can you be looking at all this and still back it? And I tell you, the only reason why I say it is because they pay their wages. They pay that, and, and if, if they go against it, and they lose their job, and they might lose their house, and. And uh, as you said, even these people that get paid out, um, 
I think it was they don't they might get awarded seven. I think one of the ladies <coughs> who fought the industry for a long time. I think it was in the end ten years. So you got awarded seven million dollars, but those seven million dollars, as you said, they don't get paid out all at once, um, and it gets broken down into each year how it would how it would how much you'd need, and then if she speaks out against it, it all gets taken away. So even if you do have an adverse reaction to it, you're not going to speak out in case you don't get that money. Is, is that, I mean, I, it, it just makes me, it just, it, as you said, everything it just seems to be stacked against the person and it's just backed for these for these companies. Um, you, put, you posted something on your site the other day, um, was a picture, and it said, you have the CDC... Um, who regulate the vaccines, but they aren't an independent company. They own 20 vaccine patents, and they sell $4.6 billion of vaccines every year. Um, So it's just the fox watching the hen house, right? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, Bobby Kennedy brought that out in the the press conference that he had um, yesterday, um, or the day before, you know, this week, um, that – that they own patents. And another thing is the U S government owns hundreds of patents on viruses and bacteria and protozoa and living organisms. And it's a line item in the revenue generating of the, of the U S government that they license those patents back to drug companies and independent researchers for them to do their research on drugs and vaccines and all this other stuff. And so they've gone out and patented living organisms and the CDC owns patents like that. I think the CDC actually owns some of the patents on the HPV viruses. Um, uh, well, you know, but the CDC is part of the government, right? I mean, it's part of health and human services, mm-hmm. but the U S government as just a, as the whole government between health and human services, the NIH, the CDC, all of the different branches of the public health department that goes out at the state level and drills down to even the local, you know, public health departments in tiny little towns in Nebraska, you know, those are all under the umbrella of the public health service and all part of the U S government. It's interesting, Ryan, because it's a section that I'm writing a new book and it's, um, I'm about, I'm going to say maybe two thirds of the way done with it. And it's the, the working title of the book is they're coming after you next. Mm-hmm. And it's about the, the adult mandatory, the, the adult vaccine mandates that are, that are coming forward and are going to be the next round of, because it's the next round of market share for the pharmaceutical industry and the adolescent and the adult vaccines are, are there's 140 vaccines in the developmental pipeline. And part of what I'm writing right now is I'm, I'm kind of like pulling together all of this historical data and kind of boiling it down because there's lots and oh my gosh, there's tons of of pages written in books and documents and websites on you know, the history of, of the U.S. Public Health Service. And I'm trying to boil it down into like just a bite-sized piece that people can get their head around because it's really important to know how did it happen? How did our government get to the place? And the same applies to the U.K. I mean, how does the gover- did the government get to the place where you as an individual were so important to them that they have regulations after regulation after regulation to track every single thing in your life 
I mean, here in the U.S., how they track everything now is through electronic medical records, even your vaccination status. And, you know, we have this thing, it's called Healthy People 2020, which are these guidelines for what's supposed to be this healthy society. But there's something like 54 different goals and and 1,200 different line item agenda items that they're looking at every single element of controlling people's lives. And, and it's like, it's, it's so utopian, it's very Orwellian. And, and so writing this thing to how the, the, the public health system is so entrenched. I mean, the U.S. public health system, inside of the Department of Health and Human Services, they have seven, 177,000 employees. Can you imagine what the monthly payroll is on that? Hmm. And our tax dollars are paying for all of that. Uh, and so it's it's pretty and i'm sure that there's similar things at possibly a smaller scale in the uk but you know all of this stuff rolled out of out of the uk i mean i do a talk on the on the smallpox vaccine with jenner and that and and how the entire thing that he did it was based on big money i mean this was back in 1799 and they gave him 10,000 british pounds sterling to advance his work i mean that would be worth millions of dollars today these yeah. dollars. It had no science. It had no no proof of efficacy for anything. They the UK passed the first mandatory vaccination laws in 1853, and it made them compulsory laws. And every place that they tried to push the the, the smallpox vaccine, they had these huge outbreaks. Not only of smallpox but syphilis. I mean, it was it's just a horrible system, horrible horrible system that we've we have propagated for 200 years. Um, and I really believe that 200 years from now, 200 years in the future, social anthropologists at that point in time will look back at us during this period of time of humanity on the earth and say, what were they thinking? How could they possibly have injected 46 doses of 16 different vaccines with chemicals and viruses and bacteria and known carcinogens and aluminum and mercury and all this stuff into their newborn babies and somehow believe that was going to keep them healthy. What were they thinking? Uh, I mean, it's the same about chemotherapy, in my opinion, and radiation. But I mean, I don't, actually, if any of us are left, if they, they got in the plan <laughs> in 200 yes, years. Exactly. So, exactly. so, so like, if any of us uh, haven't got autism by that point as well, I mean, apart from the people people like, like yourself I mean, this is for example you said there about smallpox it's like the polio vaccine countries that didn't get the polio vaccine uh, were cured of polio twice as fast and people don't realize we're not a third world country over here and neither are you a lot of these a lot of these diseases come from having absolutely no hygiene um, and no sanitation um that, would you agree with that just me making a statement yeah, yeah. You're, you're correct yeah, and, yep. and and for example, Dr. Klenner, back in the, I think it was the 60s or the 40s, 60s, he cured um, 60 out of 60 cases of polio with vitamin C. And I told one of my friends this, and he was laughing, and I was like, go and do the research. And that was a, a rubbish form of vitamin C as well. So there's lots of these things out that people can use that they don't know. I think people underestimate the power of vitamins, nutrients, um, like superfoods, uh, and mega doses. I mean, not just the, the little doses that they tell you to, to take to stop you getting scurvy, etc. I'm talking about um, like high dose, mega doses of vitamin C, for example, have got f- phenomenal um, therapeutic effects. So it's just I was looking through this here on on our vaccine because we I know America you've got a lot more, but even in our vaccines here, um, the ingredients and the and the the active ingredients. So we've got um, aluminium, obviously mercury, gel. Uh, gelatine emulsifiers 
got antibiotic, it's egg protein, yeast proteins, formaldehyde. I mean, people think that this is a bit of solution and stuff in there. Formaldehyde, everyone knows that's a carcinogen. Um, I mean, any, any, any sort of done any research into it. Then you've got human cell lines, animal cell lines, and GMOs, bivone bio, um, products, um, and yeah, mercury. So before carbolic acid, uh, aborted uh, fetal, fetal cells, um, monkey DNA, etc. So how? I mean, for me, I always say to myself, why would I want to inject myself with a bunch of poison? Bottom line, but. They say these ingredients are there to prime the immune system. Um, what would you say about them? Because the research I've done into them, they seem extremely toxic and they seem to cause disease. But go, go for the, go for it. Well, like I just said, you know, I, you know, the only place on the planet where mercury is, is seems to be safe is if it's in a vaccine or if it's in a filling in your mouth. Yeah. I mean, we have all kinds of regulations about mercury in the. In, in everything, in food, if you have a mercury spill in a doctor's office or in the environment, or like I said earlier, when, um, you know, JFK said in his, in his press conference, you know, I've tried to get mercury out of fish for, for 33 years. They've never called me anti-fish, you know, and so we're all, you know, mercury is horrible. It's a horrible toxin. Aluminum is even worse. And all the contributions, there's four different types of aluminum in the vaccines. I mean, the, the human DNA, some of them actually have human albumin. And so you're injecting a foreign protein from another human being into me. And of course, that's going to create an, uh, a, an inflammatory response and it's going to create lead to the potential of developing an autoimmune disease. I mean, it would just be like, you know, if you've got type O blood and somebody gave you an A negative transfusion. Uh, that, happened you know? to, that happened to my uncle, actually. Uh, really? My great uncle. And obviously his life was never the same again. Uh, so <laughs> as you just said, <laughs> um, it's just, if you look at the ingredients, I just don't, it's like, um, who they say the research out there shows that these vaccines work and you've got things you've called uh, you've got added ingredients and then you've got um, active ingredients and the active ingredients are the, are the viruses um, they're called antigens that's correct um, so these antigens what so do they do they work and then why do they need to put in ingredients such as formaldehyde and mercury and aluminium well it's not that they need to put them in there it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's part of the manufacturing process. For example, formaldehyde has, has the highest concentrations in diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. And the reason for that is that those particular types of vaccines are called toxoids, that they take the toxin from the bacteria and they degrade it or break it down so they weaken it so it can be injected into your body to create an antibody without causing the disease. And a way that they do that is to treat that toxin with formaldehyde. And as they go through the manufacturing process, it's not possible for them to take the formaldehyde out. Mm. Um, they use mercury as a, as, a, uh, uh, as a really poor, horrible preservative for in case there's any uh, stray contaminants. Some of the, when, you, when you do a virus, a, a vaccine that's um, like a viral vaccine, like um, polio or, um, or influenza, um, you, you have to culture those 
viruses in a living tissue in order to make them grow. And in order to, to develop a crop of viruses, so to speak, large enough to siphon off the viruses and then put them through the manufacturing process before it ends up in that little vial that in, the solution ends up in your arm. <clears throat> well, as they are like siphoning off the virus off of egg or off of bovine or off of insect cells or dog kidney cells or all the, the monkey cells, the things that they grow the viruses on, it's not possible for them to get all 100% of those of those little itty-bitty cells out of the manufacturing process so they end up in the vial that end up injected into your arm. And so, and here's the thing, and because like we talked about earlier, that the vaccine manufacturers, you can't sue them, they have zero incentive to do anything to clean up these products, to try to get the rest of the, to create ultra poor, you know, um, filtration systems or any of those types of things that, you know, to, to take the cells out, to take the, the contaminants out, to get the formaldehyde out or get the aluminum out. They, what, they have zero incentive to try to make a safer product. How, I mean, yeah. how, how because, are they allowed to get, sorry, go, carry on, you, if you were, a, if you were a, a manufacturer and it costs you, I don't know, I'm just going to make a number up. Let's say it costs you $5 per vial to make it with all that junk that's in it. And in order to make it safer, to get all that stuff out, it was going to cost you $10 a vial to make it. What incentive do you have to do that? Because you're never going to get sued. So why? What incentive do you have to make a safer product? Yeah, hundred percent. I just don't understand how they are. I mean, I remember once uh, talking to a doctor about it, and I said like they put formaldehyde in it, and he said, "No, they don't." I said, "Check, check, check the ingredients." He said, "But everyone knows formaldehyde is a carcinogen." I said, "Exactly." So check the ingredients. So how can they get away with putting? putting formaldehyde in, just for one example out of everything. How is that legal? Well, like I said, it's not that they are intentionally depositing formaldehyde in there. Uh, yeah, they're using, but just they're, in, using, they're using formaldehyde in the process of making the vaccine, and when it goes into the final, you know, bottling process, um, they, they, they haven't taken it out. Now, here's the other side of that story. I don't know if you read the, you know, I want to tell your listeners and tell you that my new va my new website that I'm writing on a lot and, you know, in another month or two, I'm probably going to be writing and blogging there three days, at least three days a week. And it's vaxter.com, V-A-X-X-T-E-R.com, vaxter.com. And I just posted two articles, you know, I'm posting an article right now every Tuesday and I'm going to be doing more probably starting in April. Um, but I wrote an article in there about, about vaccines, nanotechnology and, and, and vaccines and nanotechnology and cancer. And there was a, a research study that was published, um, that was done in, in, um, out of Italy. And these Italy, Italian researchers were very concerned about all of these side effects and all of these injuries they were seeing from these vaccines. And they said, well, I wonder if there's a, if there's something else in there that's not on the label. Mm -hmm. So they examined 44 vaccines different vaccines from different companies that had been manufactured in France and in Italy. And what they found was an enormous amount of nanotechnology and huge particles, stainless steel, all kinds of magnesium, zinc, stuff like that, that wasn't listed. And sometimes that, that those, oh, those minerals clumped into large particles. And because they're not biodegradable, they're biopersistent, and they can go into the DNA 
transform the DNA that can actually cross the blood-brain barrier and cause problems in the brain. Now, they also tested one vial, just one vial of an animal vaccine that was for, it was a cat vaccine, and they found no contaminants in that. So to me, that was the cornerstone of the entire study, was the fact that if it was just sloppy manufacturing, if it was just sloppy manufacturing, they would have found also in the, in the vaccines, uh, in, um, in the vaccine from the cat, but since they didn't find it in the cat and they found all this junk in the human vaccines, you have to wonder if it was intentionally put there. Well, yeah, I mean, they're getting into like, I think it was um, Bill Gates had a fraudulent, fraudulent sleep in a TED talk once and he said, we're, we're looking to sterilize the population. Um, and a, a lot of people going, uh, research has been done in saying vaccines sterilizing population, they cause cancer, etc. The one I wanted to, uh, I know I've, you've got to go pretty pretty uh, shortly because we've had you for quite a while but the one I wanted to touch on last it's it's something that um is is getting growing larger and larger and that's autism now people say there is no link between autism and vaccines um it's just because it's just the, the reason that autism has has gone up and increased is because we've been better at diagnosing it now i i i have got my opinions on that but what would you say to people who say that to say that that there's no connection between vaccines and autism. Yeah, and it's just that we're better at diagnosing. I think that, it. I think that, I think that they need. Well, the the whole idea of better diagnosis is just nonsense. I mean, if that were the case, where are the all of the autistic um, adults? Hmm. You know, you don't see them because it didn't happen. And Bobby Kennedy showed at his press conference. What did he have? A stack of. Was it 200, 300, 400, however many studies that did show the connection between vaccines and autism? And they don't call it autism. They call it encephalitis, encephalopathy, um, a brain irritability, seizure disorder, um, you know, all kinds of different things, all, all types of different names. Because if a researcher calls it autism, he won't get it published. But if he calls it encephalitis, which is brain inflammation, and encephalopathy, which is making the brain not work very well, which is exactly what autism is, then he can be published. So, you know, there there's an enormous amount of information out there that shows the connection between vaccines and, and brain injury. Let's call it brain injury. But see, autism is just at the, if you look at a continuum from the, the like if you drew a line across a, cross, cross, a, 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 a chalkboard, and the left hand side of the line at the very beginning of the line was say sore arm vaccine caused sore arm. And then the next notch over would be like fever. Then the next notch would be irritability at the far end of the chalkboard. As you draw that line across at the far end, right hand side of the chalkboard is autism. And after autism is SIDS and death. Mm-hmm. What, but what, what happens between sore arm and autism and death? There is asthma, allergies, eczema, ADD, ADHD, insulin-dependent diabetes, a long list of autoimmune diseases, a very long list of neurological complications, and that is where the lion's share of vaccine injury lies. We put a lot of focus on autism because it's a horrible thing. It's a it's it's not recoverable or barely recoverable. There are kids that do seem to get better, but 
we will never know what the full potential of that child would have been if they had not been vaccine injured. And, you know, now the, the vaxxed bus, and I know that the UK wouldn't let vax be shown in London. Mm-hmm. And the vax bus has traveled all over the U.S., and I think they've got approaching 4,000 stories now yeah. of parents. And, they're in, and they put it up on Periscope, and, and everybody's namings on the bus. The last time I was on the vax bus, because I, I spent some time with, with Polly and Dell and on the bus, and I've, Andy and I have been friends forever, um, it was really just mind blowing to me that when you would walk around the bus and you would see the names of the parents would write their, the number and they would write the name of the child on the side of the bus, how many siblings were damaged because the parents had one X vaccine injured child and the pediatrician hammered them and forced them to vaccinate more children and they all ended up to be vaccine injured or died. It's like bullying, right? It's almost like bullying, like listen to me or, or go, it's like people, and if you're not in the, if you're not someone who's really into health and research and etc, I mean, this is the thing, people seem to think, as you say, we call a quack and stuff, until it happens to them. And then when it happens to them, they start doing research and they become, oh actually, this isn't, this isn't as safe as maybe we thought. Um, and that's generally what it takes, unfortunately, for someone to actually start. I mean, this My health journey was I was I went through a particular illness for five years and I don't know that yourself, but it's unfortunate that seems to be the case um, when it comes to it. I mean, with Andrew Wakefield, he's got such a bad reputation now, not for people in the, in the know, but in, in the mainstream media, obviously, that that you said before on Facebook as well as part of that it only lets you post certain things he's got such a bad reputation um, and being said that he his research was shown to, to be disproved etc etc what what would you say to people um, that what, when it comes to his studies would you say you agreed with, with, his, with his findings well first of all Andy is you know he had published, I don't know, 11, some 10, somewhere between 10 and 20 research papers mm-hmm. in the Lancet and the British Medical Journal, maybe even more than that. And it was this one paper that was retracted and the paper was really just a case report. And for, you know, 200 years, how doctors advanced medicine was by case reports by saying, Hey, I, I did this. I did a colonoscopy on 20 people and I found this. I found it really interesting. What do you think? Didn't he just say, didn't didn't he actually just say may, it may cause autism as well. He didn't actually say. He didn't even say that. All right. Okay. What he did was he did colonoscopies on children that had autism and bowel disease. Mm -hmm. And he happened to find what he thought, what he perceived to be uh, vaccine strain measles. And causing what was called ileal hyperplasia, ileolingual, um, ileocecal hyperplasia, which is a really fancy medical way of saying that the inside lining of your intestine, all the lymph nodes were inflamed and swollen. And when they took a biopsy of that lymph node, they found a virus. And when they looked at it, looked at it closely and did studies, they said, wow, this appears to be measles strain virus from Mm -hmm. the vaccine. Wow, I wonder if there is a connection between what's happening in the gut, between this virus that's in the gut, 
and the and this child that has that's been diagnosed with autism, he never made any association. It was an observational study. You know, the mainstream media. You know, um, Anderson Cooper and all of his people uh, completely screwed it around. Nobody bothers to go back and read the study. It's only like four pages long. It's not a big deal. It's not hard to read. Yeah. yeah. And what he was just saying is that when I when I did these colonoscopies on these very sick children, and this is what I found, I just put it out there to say. What does anybody think about this? Do you think we should there's something to this or not? And Merck took a, took, a, took a hammer to him, and within three days there were more than three thousand reports in the mainstream fake media. I mean, talk about fake news. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the epitome of fake news to crucify somebody publicly for years and years and years and years based on something that he didn't even say. Yeah. I I 100% agree, and it's, uh, it's and when and when yeah. he actually had other researchers that reproduced his work, and there were quite a few of them, and he took all of those articles to the senior vice president of Merck UK and said, "Have you actually even looked at these studies and to see that people have have the same questions and they have reproduced what I published?" That the senior vice president of Merck UK looked him in the eye and said, "We don't have to read these." That's Meaning, the, take the rules, we crucified you, you will never practice medicine again, and you will be the scourge of humanity forever because of what we said that you said, which he never said. It's so hard. I think it's it's weird to get people to open their minds and try. It seems like, uh, the yeah, unless you're in it, you don't. It's Donna Donna Gates and Dr. Campbell McBride are talking about how autism, etc. You said it found in the gut. They look at it as a gut infection that has obviously worked its way and, and manipulated, and because the, the the gut brain access obviously is is very um, prevalent, and so. What I'd say with his findings there is I'm not surprised. Um, and as you said, they, they don't have to look at these studies. They don't have to read them again. They can hang people out to dry and, and that's it. And then they can bury you. And then everything that you say apparently uh, is false because the mainstream media has crucified you. Um, there's no there's no real coming back from that um, in, the, in the mainstream. That, I, I think there's going to be a day, and it may not be even be in Andy's lifetime, but I do believe there's going to come a day when he's going to be completely vindicated. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I completely agree with it. And I think people in the alternative world, it gets growing and growing and the message is getting louder and louder. And I think people understand that. It's just by law, he can't practice. You know, they take his license away and it's and it's it's a sad state of affairs. I mean, I mean you, a quote, I've got a quote from you here that says, every vaccine is an experiment. Now, it is. They, yeah. <laughs> it's an experiment on, you know, particularly if it's an egg-based vaccine, it's a, it is an experiment on that particular chicken's eggs. Mm-hmm. And every single human has different DNA, different parents, different genetics, different food, different housing that they're living in. So every combination of things, every single one is an absolute experiment. Okay, yeah, and it's the thing. No, no, one's, no one's the same, right? We're as different on the inside as we are on the outside. So trying to say mass uh, give give people like mass medication is never going never going to work it in the first place but it seems a very dangerous thing to me so just final thoughts uh sherry doctor um would what would be your underlying if you if you have people coming in and say well would you 
would you vaccinate the, the children, etc.? What's your underlying uh, final word on vaccines and their safety, etc.? Well, I, I have multiple different emails. I have a lot of different email addresses, and I use them for different things. Um, and the tagline on one of my emails is, vaccination, a 200-year mistake. And I really believe we have a multi-generational indoctrination in a lie and that like and that this filthy dirty technology needs to go the way of bloodletting and leeches and trephination. Trephination when they used to drill holes in people's head to leave out let out the bad spirits. Yeah. And I and and I believe that again, and I'll repeat it, that two hundred years from now Social anthropologists will look back at this period of time and look at the barbaric things that we did in the name of health, not only, you know, with vaccinations, but chemotherapy and other types of things and think, and they're going to say, what were they thinking? How barbaric was that point in time in the history of medicine, in the history of mankind? Uh, I think that's a great, great point to end it on. Thank you very much, Sherry. If you just say that one second, I'll just close out. Sherry, but thank you very much for coming on. That's uh, been a brilliant, brilliant interview. I'm sure our listeners are going to get lots from it. And um, hopefully we get you on uh, at a later date as well, because there's still so much to cover. You could talk about this for hours and hours. But thank you very much, Sherry. And we'll hopefully speak to you soon. So, guys, that was the interview with Dr. Sherry Tempany. I'm sure... You have, well, I'm sure it's actually brought up a lot more questions than answers. Um, so I'm definitely going to try and get Sherry back on the show. I'm going to talk about vaccinations and the whole, it's such a deep rabbit hole. You can go so many different ways with it. There's more questions to be asked. And if you've got any questions that you'd like me to ask, then send them in to me at ryan at reviveyourself.co and I'll get to them. Uh, as always, you can find, uh, if you just put Dr. Sherry Tenpenny into Google, there's she's got about four or five different sites, one of which is www.drtenpenny.com and she's also on the Vaccine Council. So, I mean, you can look on, as we went into the conversation, she also mentioned her new site as well. So you can find her there and just listen to all of her work. Um, as always, guys, as, as I say, if you are struggling with any other health issues and you'd like some one-to-one help, um, our 16-week programs would probably be hugely beneficial to you. So if that's something you'll be interested in, then just jump on over to www.reviveyourself.co and you can download your free version of the Healing Health Paradigm. And if you want to actually get in contact, then just go over to the contacts page, send me a message, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Otherwise, guys, hope that that interview has really opened your eyes and your mind to different possibilities. And our vaccine is really safe. Um, I mean, when I growing up, I just took took them. My mum and dad didn't know any different. They just assumed that they were safe. They didn't know all, all the dangers to them. Um, same with any medication. Read the side effects. They're not such thing as side effects anyway. It's the unwanted effects and the dangers. And look into the research and other cases. And also, not just the research, but who's funded that research. Because um, I know a lot of us in the holistic health world feel like since the 1950s you can't really take any study seriously because very very um small amount of them are actually independent so that's one thing to consider so anyway that's today's show done the next show is going to be with dr joel khan all about heart health and it's another good one it's another one you don't want to miss especially as 
oh, because heart disease is the well, out of cancer is the biggest um, mortality. It's the biggest cause of death in the Western world. Um, so it really is an interview you do not want to miss. Um, I've got some really good stats in there for you. Um, but one quote that has really taken me back is, I'll give you a little teaser. We go into it. It's, it's for 50 per, 50% of people, the first sign of vascular disease is sudden death. Now, if that doesn't make you want to watch the show and learn about what you could be doing, then I don't know what will. Um, and he does actually say a few things that I necessarily don't agree with, but on the whole, his point is extremely valid, and we go into a lot of different topics around heart health. So, in my opinion, that's a that's, that's a show not to miss. So, as always, guys, I'll see you on the next episode. So stay happy and healthy, and I'll speak to you soon. If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today.